there were a lot of people who were saying, it's about time you did something like this because you've been talking about doing something on your own. You love 80s movies, 80s pop culture. It's about time. One of my best right. friends said, dude, you should have done this 10 years ago. But I wasn't ready. I didn't have the experience that I needed to realize that there was something else out there for me. The 80s, because I grew up in it. I love the 80s. I was 10 years old in 1980. So I tell everybody I did everything for the first time, good, bad, or indifferent in the 80s. Really yeah. <laughs> gained my, a lot of my life wisdom from the 80s. I felt like from a pop culture perspective, it was the last decade where I feel like pop culture wasn't manufactured. It was almost like, I explain it like a glitter bomb. Somebody threw a glitter bomb against the wall and all these wonderful colors came out of it, exploded. And that was like 80s pop culture. It was all over the place. Chris Clues spent 20 plus years in corporate marketing. And then one day, while watching the iconic John Hughes 80s movie, The Breakfast Club, he had an epiphany. Sounds like bucket list careers material to you, doesn't it? Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Krista Laurie. Thanks for joining me. Now, I assume if you're listening to this episode, The Breakfast Club is not unfamiliar to you. And you'll remember the character Bender, whose comment sparked the change Chris Clues says he desperately needed in his life. The line is, screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. And Chris said that that spoke to him as he was in an imperfect place in his career. He loved 80s pop culture and knew the business world fairly well, so he decided to write a book. What 80s pop culture teaches us about today's workplace. Basically, taking 80s movies and finding the business lessons in them. He built a website, positioned himself as a speaker, an expert on the topic, and left the corporate world. Now he is a full-time speaker on 80s pop culture and the lessons it can teach us for life and the workplace. Chris also has two books in his series with a third on the way. I had way too much fun with this one because if you follow my personal social media, you'll know I have a thing for 80s music and some of the fashion. So I'm fairly jealous that Chris gets to talk about 80s pop culture for a living. In all seriousness, he has some truly actionable nuggets of wisdom for us that do originate from those beloved and wise sage 80s characters. Win-win if you're also a fan of the era. Let's listen. Hope you enjoy. Chris, welcome to Bucket List Careers. I know we're going to have a blast talking all things 80s and where you've taken it professionally. You and I are roughly the same vintage. We're not going to actually discuss birthdays. <laughs> vintage, I like that, yeah. <laughs> I'm mildly obsessed with that era, and I assume that you were too. I am. And thank you so much for having yeah. me. Yeah. You know, we were talking about this earlier before we started recording, and I really appreciate and respect the people that are putting on podcasts, independent podcasters. You give us a voice, us independent artists, a voice. It's kind of the great, great equalizer, like Aww. self-publishing is now. And so I really, really appreciate it. Right. You're an author. You're a speaker. You know, you've taken your obsession with the 80s a step further, combining it with your years. I think you were more than two decades in corporate marketing. And what you did, I think it's brilliant. You found business lessons in them. So we're going to get into that. We'd love to get some takeaways from you a little later in the podcast. And it all started with an epiphany. I know you told me watching The Breakfast Club, and I'll let you tell us that story. Yeah. Let's first take it back to where you were, your former professional self. You were building brands. You were spearheading sports sponsorships, like big entities, NCAA basketball, PGA, MLB. A lot of people would be perfectly content with a career like this, but something wasn't working for you. 
Yeah. So I was, you know, I did corporate marketing for 20 plus years. I, I really, really liked it. And I think when you talk about like and love, we talk about that in our personal lives. Yeah. There's a lot of people we dated throughout our lives that we liked. There's very few people that we loved. And we don't <laughs> talk about that gap. We talk about it in relationships. We don't talk about it in careers. There's mm. a lot of people who like what they do. There's very few people who love what they do. The gap is huge. So true. And that's what the show is about, getting people to realize that and have that awakening. Yes. Well said. Yeah. And so I liked what I did, but I was kind of in this Henry David Thoreau, who was not an 80s pop culture icon, maybe <laughs> 1840s pop culture icon. He said the mass of men, and we'll call that the mass of people today, the mass of people lead lives of quiet desperation. Mm. I was kind of in that quiet desperation a little bit. I enjoyed what I did, but I felt like there was something else for me. And I was home having kind of a self-pity party of one, and uh, <laughs> as I tend to do, and uh, I was watching The Breakfast Club. And Bender, now, of course, great dialogue, great quotes in The Breakfast Club. Oh, yeah. But one quote that stood out to me that never did before was when Bender said, screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. Right. And I was in my imperfect place. I kind of sat up off my couch and I thought, that's me. My screws have fallen out. What am I going to do? You really had that moment. I had that moment. I literally just sat up and had that moment. That's cool. I think part of it was I'd been looking for that moment or thinking about that moment. And it just, in some ways, maybe I materialized it. I don't know. That quote just resonated. But were things going gangbusters for you professionally? Or was this really just a full 180 that was based on you feeling something? Like, I'm not aligned with my professional purpose. Yeah, I think. I was content with what I was doing, but I wanted to do something for me. I really looked at, yeah. looked like, what is my, I was 47 years old at the time. I'm 51 now. I'll, I'll admit my vintage. I'm 51. Yeah. And I'm um, 47 <laughs> years old at the time. Don't ask me mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll go ahead and I'm 51. So at 47, I, I felt like, I don't know, is this it? Am I going to be a pretty good marketing guy? Is that what's going to be left for me? I never had kids. So my legacy was going to be, he's a pretty good marketing guy. I, I needed something more. Yeah. That screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. I thought, well, you know, I could get up. I could put the screws back in and keep on going just like a lot of people do. Or I could get a whole new set of screws or I could get a whole new door, a whole new door frame and walk out of that. I love that analogy. New really. door into a new journey and a new life and a new career. And that's what I did. But the eighties, I mean, did anyone laugh you out of the room and don't take that the wrong way? Because obviously I picked you and we talked about how you came on the podcast yeah. because we met in a Facebook group with a podcast collaboration, you know, find a guest, be a guest community vibe. And I will tell you, I got a couple hundred DMs when I was launching season two and I was like, hey, I'm looking for guests. And you stood out. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Did you have naysayers? Absolutely. You know, you should be proud of it. Did you have naysayers, haters even? And how did you navigate that? And tell me first steps. Sure. So yeah, I actually did. Of course, if when people tell you you're crazy, you know, you're on the right path. And uh, I think, you know, that's... <laughs> so I, yes, there were some naysayers, but I had a lot of supporters as well. So there were a lot of people mm. who were saying, it's about time you did something like this because you've been talking about doing something on your own. You love 80s movies, 80s pop culture. It's about time. One of my best right. friends said, dude, you should have done this 10 years ago. But I wasn't ready. You know, I wasn't ready. I hadn't, I didn't have the experience that I needed to realize that there was something else out there for me. And the 80s, because I grew up in it, I love the 80s. I was 10 years old in 1980. So I tell everybody I did everything for the first time, good, bad, or indifferent in the 80s. So really yeah. <laughs> gained my, a lot of my life wisdom from the 80s. And uh, I felt like from a pop culture perspective, it was the last decade where I feel like pop culture wasn't manufactured. Hmm. It was almost like, I explain it like a glitter bomb. Somebody threw a glitter bomb against the wall and all these wonderful colors came out of it, exploded. And that was like 80s pop culture. It was all over the place. 
Sure. And so did you just start to write down like what – so the title of your book is What 80s Pop Culture Teaches Us About mm-hmm. Today's Workplace. So did you just start writing down the quotes and it just spill <laughs> out of you and then the book materialized? Like walk us through a little bit of that and then we'll get to how you became a speaker sure. on this theme. Yeah. So thanks. I, it's a great question. Yes. Actually, what happened was I actually wrote an article on what the Breakfast Club can teach us about problem solving around that idea of screws falling out. Uh And I put it on LinkedIn and I woke up the next day and people had responded from everywhere. And I thought, whoa, this is weird. And so, but cool. Okay. So I I wrote another one on Ferris Bueller, (laughs) who's on my shirt here, Ferris Bueller and work-life balance. (laughs) And, And then I thought maybe I have something here. So I wrote a small book. I got a buddy who's a graphic designer. We figured out how to self publish it together. We'd never done that before. It's an 80 page book. It's just like, I tell people if you're a bathroom reader a couple of times in the bathroom and you're done with it, it's very short, very quick. (laughs) Yeah. Then I thought, well, what else can I do? When strangers, people I didn't know after my family and friends bought my book and people I didn't know were buying it, I thought, okay, this is actually pretty cool. I built a website, never done that before, built a website, positioned myself as a speaker. All this time, I had a full-time job, by the way, as a head of marketing of a division of DHL. I see. So there was some overlap (laughs) there, which I find happens a lot with people that make these kind of 180 transformations is the origins are there and some of the beginnings of the next phase overlap with their previous position, previous industry. So that that worked for you. For how long were you overlapping? And then when were you able to kind of say goodbye yeah, to Yeah, it was about 16 months of overlap. And uh, it was okay. a lot. It okay. was a lot. Crazy but time. I loved what I was doing. So I didn't mind being up at three in the morning writing or building my website because I yeah. knew I had something. It was just a matter of how do I let other people know and are they going to care? Right. And that's really what it came down to. And so I, I built the website, positioned myself as a speaker, wrote the second book with an independent publisher. So I think it's a much better book, in my opinion. The second book is much better, much deeper. 10 movies again with lessons from those movies. Okay. And I had a friend that I met when I was working with you around the UFC. I would sponsor fighters in my marketing position. She was actually representing them. And she had a small speakers bureau. And she said, if you leave your job, I'll take you on. Ah. But you got to be 100% committed. So you, you utilized your contacts. That was smart. Becoming a paid speaker, though... That's no small feat, I would say. And I will tell you, I'm currently actually in an online course. I'm in module three and speaking to coaches, trying to hone my own speaker skills for this very reason, to do what you're doing. So I'd also love to know more about that. And of course, share with listeners getting paid to speak and your journey there. Was it tougher than getting published as an author? In some ways it was, I mean, we talk about self-publishing being a great equalizer. You don't have to get a big five publishing Mm -hmm. company anymore. You can actually go out and do it on your own, but you have to, there's a lot of things that go into it that, you know, really I learned from my mistakes for the second book. Speaking though is a whole different Mm. ballgame. There's a lot of people out there who are speakers and to actually get paid to do it, you really have to have something unique. I believe something unique, something different, and you have to be relatable. That's a big thing for me. Look, I, I admit it. I'm just a big knucklehead that loves 80s movies and came up <laughs> with an idea. And I enjoy being on stage. I'm mm-hmm. kind of, you know, a little reserved off stage. But when I get on stage, and you probably know this from your career, it's it's like yeah. a Tupac said, all eyes on me. You, it's a real thing, right? You really feel this like energy. Do you feed off of it, do you think? And it sort of makes you the best version of yourself because that's how I feel. You know, it's not as if you walk around and in every conversation that you have, you sound like a paid speaker. No. But when you get up there and you're in that moment and the audience, and I also thrive on live audiences, I realize. 
But when you're there in the moment, it's like you rise to the challenge. So I always tell people, if you're afraid, give it a shot. See if you actually find the best version of yourself up there. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a great lesson from the movie, The Outsiders, which is just Here we phenomenal go. movie. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, can I stop yeah. you there before you get into The Outsiders? Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I know you have one of your lessons was quoting Johnny Cade. Yes. By the way, Matt Dillon grew up in my town Maranek, New York. I did not know him. So I feel like a connection to the outsider. I love Matt Dillon. He's fantastic. His youngest brother was in my high school, was in my grade. So go ahead, keep going. And is this going to lead to a Johnny Cade line from the movie? It's a Johnny (laughs) Cade quote that I think is perfect for your podcast, right? Okay. So he said to Pony Boy, you still have a lot of time to make yourself be what you want. Yeah. That really resonated with me at 47 years old. You still have a lot of time to make yourself be what you want. And by the way, for anybody who's listening out there, you absolutely do. I talk about how if you have a passion or a hobby and interest, it's taking up all your time. That free time, that valuable free time that we have, if you're using it for the same thing over and over again, hey, maybe it's time to go create you. Maybe it's time to look at that time that you're spending on that passion, on that hobby or the interest and say, what can I do with it? Right. Because that's what I did. I mean, I quoted 80s movies all the time. That's why my friends said, it's about time you did this. And what do you think stops people? Because most everyone has a hobby or something that they're passionate about, but they might not think it's marketable. And and you've told me that fear of the unknown was probably your biggest obstacle, yeah. not fear of failure. So that's interesting. Yeah. Do you think fear of failure is the biggest stumbling block for people? I, I think I think a fear, fear of failure, a fear of the unknown... I talk about in the movie, Better Off Dead. If you ever saw that one, it's a fantastic movie. John Cusack, one of my favorites. He's at the top of the K-12 and his buddy says, hey, uh, just go down that, go down really fast. If something gets in your way, turn. That's a really scary proposition for a lot of people. (laughs) It's that simple. But that's what it takes when you decide to go out and do something on your own. You've got to go that way really fast. If something gets in your way, turn. You, You know, you've got to just make the commitment to say, I'm going to go do this. And that means kind of putting your skis, pointing down the hill and go. Totally. And for me, that was like the fear of the unknown was a little more than the fear of failure. Although that's a good point. The imposter syndrome is a real thing. And the idea that you're really good at something, but you have this not lack of self-confidence, but you question yourself and trading places, which is, you know, fantastic. Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd. There's a moment in trading places where Eddie Murphy is dressed up for the first time, getting ready to go onto the trading floor. And he thinks, oh my God, what am I doing? Can I do this? And he says to the butler, you know, what if I can't do this? What if I'm not good at it? Right. The butler says, just be yourself, sir. They can't take that away from you. Right, right. And there's a real good lesson in there, imposter syndrome, the difference between confidence and arrogance. Confident people question themselves. Arrogant people question others. Yes. I I think if you're confident, you will question yourself, but you got to push through those questions. Right. And I think also knowing you're going to make mistakes and that's okay and not letting yourself be deterred by that. I mean, I am sure that there were some moments in this journey for you where you thought, "Mm, okay, that didn't work out. I need to regroup and do a reset. And then you, in the end, look back at it and say, if that hadn't happened, maybe I wouldn't be here. So I I think also we need to expect that there are going to be roadblocks. We just need to learn how to overcome them. Absolutely. And my biggest roadblock was in March of 2020. I had just gotten my speaking gigs going in the right direction. I had a calendar 
of speaking gigs and suddenly they all went away in a week. Gone. There you go. I was going to say, was the pandemic tough for you? I mean, there is not one person who doesn't have a pandemic pivot story here for me. So how did you get through that? I just didn't give up. Yeah. I, I just didn't give up. I, I looked at it and I said, I don't really care what's happening right now in terms of of me and how it's going to impact me personally and in my business. I I love what I do and I'm going to keep doing this and I'm going to figure out how to make it through. And I took some marketing consulting gigs. I continued to do podcasts, a lot of podcasts. Yeah. You know, I, I took advantage of those. Of course, this podcast was born in the pandemic. You know, this is like a yeah, lockdown see? project. <laughs> That, you know, it got bigger, thankfully. But yeah, so much so much good actually came out of it. Those are the silver linings that I continue to try to see. Did you do some remote speaking, some virtual speaking? I did. And that's how I ended up with this background. You know, I, I visited the last blockbuster on Earth back in 2019. And I, <laughs> I had this that. picture. Right. And obviously, obviously yeah. you can't see this if you're just listening to my podcast. But Chris is in front of <laughs> like a blockbuster backdrop. And I did work at a blockbuster in high school. It was actually a tough job. I will tell you, a lot of people did not rewind. Oh, yeah, I'm sure I was guilty <laughs> of that. I was guilty of that because I wanted to hustle and get there and wait by the bin to see if somebody returned the movie that I couldn't wait to get because a lot of times like the new releases, they weren't available. And... Right. Do you remember? Yeah. I remember people would come up to me and be like, oh, did they return? I don't know. Jaws yet? Or, you know, we're, we're, we're all out of the copies. It's, it's just such a different world now. You know, our kids have absolutely no clue what we're talking about, although it is cyclical. And I think what you've done is found a way to make the 80s and that pop culture era universal, which is really super smart. So give me what is your favorite movie okay. or character that you think you draw the most from? I'll give you two really quickly, if that's cool. I know it's like really kind of short yeah. podcast here. So no, I'll no, give you you're two. Fine. I, um, <laughs> it's a snack size yeah, podcast. Yeah, it's good though. I like it. So I would say, you know, I, I'm going to go to the the best character for leadership lessons would be Prince Akeem from Coming to America. Okay. Lots of leadership lessons in that. One of them is when he takes the job at the fast food restaurant. He doesn't tell anybody he's a prince. He stripped everything away that shows that he would be the heir to the throne in his country of Zamunda, there's a lot of humility there. Yeah. And he takes this job at a fast food restaurant. He says, when you think of garbage, think of Akeem. It's really like a throwaway line in the movie. <laughs> it's not one that everybody remembers, but it resonated with me because I thought about it. And I thought, here's a guy who could have just taken the easy way. He could have just become the king right. and you know everybody, but he wanted something else. And so he taught us that unearned leadership or unearned leaders create pleasers. And earned leadership creates believers. So this idea that if you haven't earned your leadership position, everybody's kind of yes people around you. They don't know how to act around you. You don't know how to act as a leader. If you've earned that leadership position, then you get credibility. And we see this at the beginning of the movie when they're talking, you know, they, they're kind of setting up an arranged marriage for him. And he wants to know about her. What do you like? She says, she says, whatever you like, what kind of food do you like? Whatever food do you like? What music do you like? Whatever music do you like? He, he doesn't like this, by the way. And, and you see this kind mm -hmm. of everybody wants to please the person who hasn't earned that leadership position. But once he's earned it, he creates credibility in everybody else's eyes and respect. Love that. I love that analysis. Yeah. Spot I love, on. I, I, I love Prince Akeem. Another one, it's just because it's so, I believe that we learn more from unexpected places than we do from expected ones. So if you walk into a classroom, you expect to learn. Hmm. You don't expect to learn from Jeff Spicoli in yeah. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Right? I mean. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's so cool. You don't, you don't expect <laughs> to learn except that vans are cool. That's about the only thing he taught. Mr. Hand. Yeah, Mr. Hand. Yeah. So, you know, of course, he's always late to class and Mr. Hand 
really hates tardiness. And he says to Spicoli, why are you always late to my class? And Spicoli says, I don't know. And I thought those three words were really important. I don't know. Honest. And Mr. And Mr. Hand puts him on the chalkboard and says, I'm going to let my classes all see this and give you full credit. And Spicoli's like, all right, man, he's getting full credit for something. In that moment, though, he teaches us something. You know, how many of us have been asked a question in our job and we didn't know the answer? Everybody, right? Yeah, true. I mean, if, you're, if, you, if there's somebody out there who says, I know every answer, well, then in the words of the church lady, isn't that special? <laughs> but for the rest of us, we've all been in that position. Saying I don't know used to be a sign of weakness and vulnerability. What do you mean you don't know? I say it's a sign of strength and confidence and character. It's honest and transparent, something we need a lot more of in this world today. Absolutely. And when you say I don't know, and I think it's a sign of strength and leadership, you want to caveat it with let me get back to you, I'll get the answer. Okay, right, right. right? I mean, you don't want to end up like um, Seinfeld and Costanza when Costanza said to Seinfeld, hey, Jerry, I think I'm going to tell this girl I love her. You know, I'm going to say I love you. And, and Seinfeld says, are you sure about the I love you? Because if you don't get the return, I love you. That's a pretty big matzo ball hanging out there. Uh, <laughs> saying <laughs> I don't know and not caveating it with I'll get back to you or let me get the answer is a pretty good matzo ball out there. So you definitely want to caveat it. But that's Spicoli. Right, right. the yeah. proactive aspect to it. Wow. All right. We could definitely go on. Maybe we'll do a part two, but for now, I think we're going to have to wrap it. But let me get from you the best place to send people on social media. I know you're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Where's the best place to follow you and learn more? And obviously your books are on Amazon, yeah, books right? books are on Amazon. They're also digital all over the place, Apple, Barnes and Noble, everywhere. Digital only, of course. And then paperback on Amazon. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I would say that the most flexibility you have on a platform and the one that I think is the most fun is Instagram. And that one is Chris Clues 80s, 80s, Chris Clues 80s. I was lucky enough to get at 80s pop culture on Twitter. I don't know how that was available, but it was. Right? I would I would not have expected Crazy. that. To, I thought that'd be snatched up. Yeah, yeah I thought I was well, going to get was at 80s to be, pop right? culture 7234 <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. And then chrisclues.com is my website, C-L-E-W-S. Chrisclues.com. All right. Don't forget that, everybody. No, I've really enjoyed this. You're in front of your blockbuster backdrop. I've got my tube top on right now, which I actually wore to the Billy Idol concert that I attended not so long ago at the Capitol awesome. Theater in Porchester, New York. Yes, he's still touring. So much fun. And it was actually a lot of fun to have you. So thanks yeah. for being on the show. Thanks for all these great takeaways. I wish you luck. I'll be keeping my eye on what you're doing next. Thanks, Krista. I really appreciate it. I really, really appreciate the megaphone. Yeah. And by the way, your career transition is pretty awesome too. So yeah. Hey, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Let's just keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Stay rad, everybody. All right. Have a good one. There'll be more Bucket List Careers coming your way next Thursday. Also ahead, we're planning a giveaway. We did this last year. All you have to do is go to my website, bucketlistcareerspodcast.com and sign up for my email newsletter. We'll have more details coming your way soon. We did give away an AirPods Pro last year, so you don't want to miss out. Thanks, as always, for listening. Be well, guys. An ironic media production. Visit us at ironicmedia.com.